Welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. So I think um, it really, really will help the pedagogy of the teachers. Next year, we're going to have some new staff too. So again, that helps that we've done this research this year and we can share it with them straight away. So we'll all be on the same page from the beginning. Welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon and my partner in crime is It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad at all, thank you. I've got a major treat today. We've gone all international. How about that? Uh, uh, so today on the podcast, we have Jess Gosling all the way from Taipei. Hello, Jess. How are you? Hi, Joe. Nice to nice to speak to you. I'm great, thank you. So uh we're, it, we, this feels very exotic to us because we're recording in the morning, well, early afternoon, but over there it's night time for you, isn't uh-huh. it? 7pm, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I was really keen, I, I think, did I come across you on LinkedIn? Is that where I discovered you? Um, I think it was Twitter. <laughs> oh, Seems was to it? coming across lots of people on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was interested in getting you on uh, because you are a teacher and a researcher, but in a different sector to um, where Alistair and I sit. So this podcast set about really to showcase the research by teachers and practitioners in further education. Mm-hmm. Largely, it's much more established, we think, in schools. But I just thought it'd be nice to get somebody on from the school sector and, and, and in terms of yourself, the international school sector. Um, maybe just to see, you know, how, how things how things maybe are different or the same and share experiences. So do you want to start by telling us about yourself? Yep. So I've been an international teacher now for around 10 years. Um, I've taught in Egypt and Vietnam and now Taiwan. Um, always with the youngest children, usually key stage one or earliest foundation stage. Prior to this, I was um, in England and I taught for two years there um, in Hertfordshire with year two. Um, prior to that, I took a little bit of time teaching as an EAL teacher in Japan. So that was really my first experience of um, international teaching. And um, yeah, and within my school, I'm, I'm doing action based research. And that's really come about from my experiences completing a master's um, in early years. Mm. So t- tell us a bit about that that master's research then, because that's where your sort of whole teacher researcher journey started, isn't it? Yeah, I think it did. Um, so I was teaching and then I had a bit of time out for maternity leave raising my daughter and I got to about two years into that and I really felt like I wanted to start something and I, I just caught the date for Leeds Beckett online course in early childhood, well it was in childhood studies and early years at that time. Um, I was really intrigued because there was a big module on play, which obviously with my daughter being around two, I was interested in what she was doing. But also, as I wanted to move towards early years teaching, I really wanted to be a bit more of an expert in my field. Um, so I completed that course. And during that course, I had a professor called David White, and um, he was very, very interested in autoethnography and narrative research. And I thought um, it was really unusual when I first um, started his module. Um, I was quite uncomfortable with it, to be honest. Um, The autoethnography was based all around myself as a trainee teacher. And we shared um, our own stories on like a forum and other students remarked on it and gave me insight and ideas. And then I took that idea 
um, as the trainee teacher, I looked at also my line manager and also the head of the school and the hierarchy and relationships and the pressure relationship, the pressure within that situation. So that kind of influenced me now to write a book about international teaching. Um, so, and that also has my voice in it too. So I, I take that bit from the MA really, the autoethnography mm. side of things. And the narrative research I followed on again with the same professor. Um, this was a practitioner research project, and that was working with pre-verbal children. Um, so they're very, very young alongside their parent. Um, and then that has fed into now um, working on school-based action research in my current school. Hmm. So you, you're now moving into um, action research within the school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you hope, what, how's that come about? What, what do you hope to be gaining or have an impact on through doing that? So what we really want to work on is we, well, I identified a problem very early on in the year that my children were coming in and I felt they had much lower levels of English um, compared to the prior cohort. So I was a little bit concerned at that stage, but I thought, well, you know, generally they learn quite quickly, it will be okay. And then it got to about Christmas and I really felt they weren't developing um, to the level of last year's because I was sort of crossing over with the planning and just checking it and thinking, "Mm, we're not really covering what we did last year. So I thought about how can we really reach the children that are like native Mandarin speakers and they haven't got much reason really to use English Um, because we do speak English throughout, uh, sorry, English in the classroom, but the children can play always in Chinese. So they do speak an awful lot uh, Mandarin. So we sat down and we talked as a um, year group about what we could do to help them. So we had a little focus group first, um, which was really great because we involved like the learning assistants and also the early years enrichment um, teachers. So we all had our part to talk about it and we discussed really what we thought worked because I really identified that. I was getting some really great advice from different teachers, but it was only really me hearing that advice and we weren't sharing it. So we felt by doing this focus group, we really could share a lot of good ideas about how to move the kids forward. So following that, we we typed up the like the the um, the minutes for that meeting, and then we devised a three term program to begin next year, which you know begins on quite a basic level for the English for the Mandarin speakers, and it progresses. Um, we have tried a few of the ideas already this year, so we know already what will work, um, but there's some like, extra ideas in there too. Um, so, yeah, so we were looking at really using lots of repetition of key phrases, a lot of experiential learning, which is something I've been writing about quite a bit. So I really feel it brings out language um, using key texts and lots of speaking opportunities, um, paired speaking opportunities and songs, um, routines and schedules where we keep um reusing the same language so it really embeds with them mm. and also um moving towards stories and um something called helicopter stories um by paley which is where they devise their own stories and they act it out so they have a lot of ownership for it as well mm. um so that's the project that we're currently doing at the moment in my school okay so um now you've mentioned a couple of um terms or phrases in terms of methods today already so uh, I'm just wondering if you could share what those mean because sometimes people listen to this podcast to 
kind of understand, you know, find their way into the whole idea of practitioner research. So you've referred to autoethnography, you've referred to narrative research, Mm -hmm. and then I'm assuming that you've got some ideas around methods, a methodological approach to your uh, studying this year's programme as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the autoethnography really is, that's where you look at your yourself, it's your own stories, really. Um, you write your own stories. And it's quite, I found it very, very therapeutic. Because for me, being a trainee teacher in the UK was a very, very hard time. Um, so actually writing about all these experiences, it it um, really supported me moving on from them in some ways and understanding them and unpicking them. And that was a really interesting, like, um, unexpected experience that I had through doing that course. Um, so that that really resonated with me. And I'm actually going to present some of those at a conference in July this year, so, which will be actually a spoken conference where I'll speak the stories, which is quite exciting. Um, narrative research, that's where, again, it's, it's written in a story form. So I did have my sample of children that I used and the parents. Um, they were observed and I did write field notes but I wrote the the actual experience in a story and then what I found which was great with the narrative research is I shared the text with the parents and I shared actually videos with them as well so often I would give them my interpretation and they would feed back to me what their interpretation was and that was quite fun quite amazing because we found often there was it wasn't the same interpretation, basically. They could feed me a little bit more information and then that would support my next interaction with the children. So it's a really great two-way process. I found the narrative research. Um, the findings of the research actually were really revealing because I looked at a few different um, research pieces, um, pieces that had been done previously. There was um, a study with Chesworth and Hedges and Al, case studies on like teacher and parent interpretations. And it, it was revealed that quite often, like a teacher would say something like, the little girl loves playing in the Play-Doh, they're always in the Play-Doh. And the mum would say, no, no, she's, um, she's making sandwiches or she's making um, buns, she loves cooking. So it was interesting for me in this oh. piece of narrative research to see that this was so true that the parental um, discussion with me was so important. There was one situation which came right at the end of the research and it was like an Eureka moment. I was so happy it happened was there was what I perceived to be a fight between a boy and a little girl over a bus. And I had um, interpreted it as he needs a lot of work on social development. Um, You know, he, I should have probably scaffolded it better. You know, I kind of saw it in a different light. The mum told me that the boy actually had a really um, strong attachment to buses. And the problem was the bus. And from a very, very early age, he'd run out onto the street to see the bus every time. (laughs) Every time you saw it in England, he took a bus to bed. So (laughs) the actual issue was with the bus, not with the other child. So... I found that research absolutely fascinating and I really like um, qualitative research like that because I feel you really can get a depth um, to the study, which, you know, if it hadn't been me really delving into the conversation with the parents and showing them the videos and talking to them several times, I don't think I would have found that much information out. That's, um, that's really interesting, is it? That's almost yeah. like co-analysis. That, that exactly. the parents, yeah, the parents coming alongside you with, to to, to analyze the data and it sounds a little bit like as you've launched your new program for the next year there's been code design as well in how you're going to roll it out yeah 
Yeah, well, I think that's the most important thing. I think just one voice in research isn't really the way to go. Um, I feel like you you have to get it validated by other people. You know, you have to like with with my ideas about how we should progress in our team and what we should do for these um, Mandarin speakers. They're, they're just one person's idea. And it was just so interesting getting um, everybody's voice as part of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really important that you get not just teachers' voices and practitioner research. Like I was very happy that the LAs also joined in because often they are quite quiet and they don't feel they have a place in research um, just because they seem to think we're more knowledgeable. <laughs> it doesn't really matter how many times I tell them that, you know, that they give me a lot of ideas as well. But we do bounce off each other. I think I think actually being involved in an actual research project made them feel a lot better. And especially when I was typing up their ideas and everything in front of them. Um, I think it's great for empowerment too. Yes. Um, and by LA, you mean learning assistant? Just learning talking, assistant. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> no, sorry. Learning assistant. Yeah, I, was just, I thought for a minute you meant local authority and I thought, oh, that's, uh, yeah. True. I think in England they're teaching assistants, but we call them learning yeah. assistants. They're yeah. the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, I'm interested to hear how teacher research is um, responded to or supported um, within the school you know are you well supported is it really encouraged is it something lots of people you know lots of practitioners are involved in well in my school to be honest internationally this is the first time I've ever heard practitioner research going on in school like action research and okay. um, we were asked at the beginning of the year if there's anything we wanted to do but that at that stage in the year it hadn't the problem hadn't presented itself to me at all so I didn't go forward for it but then when I identified this after Christmas, I just went to my assistant head. Um, we have three of them in the school and I explained what I saw. And she's currently doing a PhD um, in the US for education. So she was quite interested. And I said, you know, how about we do this project together? And she was very, very keen to start it up. Um, and it was great to have her like facilitate my ideas and because I, I was kind of, you know, well, how do we go about this? You know, I, I was putting these ideas to her and she was like, right, we can do a focus group. We can set it on this date. We can ask these people. And it was it's really nice to have direction, I feel. I feel you need that little bit with practitioner research, especially if you haven't done it before. Yeah. Um, it's a bit yeah. of a structure within the school. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, that sounds, so you're leading the way. You're leading the way. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a bit of an ad hoc thing, really. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite humble about it. I don't really, you know, blow my trumpet or anything in the school. We're doing it because it helps the kids, basically. So we are talking about trying to have a conversation like this every month. Um, it may be different ideas within the team that we were having an issue with. Um but just having that time to talk as a team, because we do like the UK, we do have a lot of um, meetings and inset and often they're very generalized and they don't, you know, actually reflect what we really want to know at that point in time and what's important for the children at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always really happy to help with stuff that really benefits the class and the children um, and, you know, supports their learning. It's, it's it's absolutely fascinating listening to you, Jess, because I'm just saying there's so many parallels. I, I, I did I wasn't sure whether, you know, whether it was being from different sectors, ha, how much um, commonality there might be, but there actually is a huge amount there. I'm going to pass over to Alistair for the last few questions. Okay. Hi, Thank Alistair. You, Hiya. Um, that was really interesting. Listening to you there talking about the um, the use of the narrative research and then how that built in, but I'm really interested to know um, what literature informed your thinking around that as well and and how you've used that in your work? 
So in terms of the narrative research, obviously that was my dissertation. So there's an awful lot of literature involved in that. Um, because I was looking at initially interactions, parents hadn't really come into it. It was interactions I was looking at. Um, I really was following and looking at the Vygotskin theory about the guided interaction. Um, but as I, I read into that more and more, so guided interaction is just when you work with a child one-on-one -on -one and you get them to the, their sort of point that they're just about um, learning and then you just sort of give them a little bit more extra information to push their learning a little bit further. So it's kind of extending them, I guess, is how we'd use that. But then I, I went towards more towards Barbara Rogoff. Um, she sort of took his theory and she made it more, the guided participation would be more um, equal, which is really how I feel as a teacher. Um, like I feel when I work with a child, it's really a mutual partnership and we sort of collaborate together instead of just like what, what she described as one expert does to another. Like I don't see myself as an expert in a situation, like we both support each other. So it was very, very interesting in reading in such depth about different ways to work with children. Um, so she also sort of talks about the a mutual bridging of meetings between two individuals and then just modifying your perspective to, to accomplish the task. So I'm always, when I'm working with a child, I'm not just moving in and deciding I'm the expert in it, I'm going to teach you this. I'm really watching very, very carefully what they're doing and then adjusting all the time to what they're what they're telling me and what they're showing me so it's it's not clear cut basically and and sometimes they will show me something or a way that I would just never expect um especially in terms of their imagination and how they use resources sometimes I see what they make and I'm just so I scrap my idea let's start with what you're doing and maybe you can teach me a few things about this um so I see it really as a two-way process when I'm learning with the children um, I also saw as part of that dissertation, there was a real importance of culture, um, like Bruner's theory of the mismatch between home and school sometimes, the environments, and Brofenbrenner's biological model as well, how children's development takes place in all contexts, such as the family, the home, the school, and the community. So that's where I feel I really reached out to parents when I started to realize this, that really I was just seeing a very small part of the child when I worked with them. And my interpretation could be completely wrong because I didn't know enough of their background. So again, now when I work with children, I really try to take into account everything I know about them. And we have like um, seesaw communication with parents. So when I send photos, I ask for you know a comment on the photos and some feedback from them because I've learned more, um, especially through this dissertation, that really consultation with parents is really, really important. That's great. It's being able to link up that theory with the with the practical as well, isn't it? And and I guess that links so importantly through to all of the action research that you're doing in that area. Um, but I understand you're doing some other work within your school as well um, with this plan for a, a journal club so that you can get more people involved with um, sharing the theory and, and looking at the research of others. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, what we're hoping to do, like again, I've said um, my line manager is one person that is, is always pulling at, she's constantly reading articles and applying it to her work and then coming out with these ideas to me that I managed to jot down or use straight away. Um, but there are other people in the school because I'm currently in a school where there's three sections. So there's British, French and German all working together. Um, and I have friends across those sections. So one lady in the French section, she's also very interested in research. And we just got talking one day and I, I told her about my action research. 
and she suggested, you know, maybe we make like, like a little book club, but for a journal where we either choose one journal or we all have our own individual journals, articles, and we discuss them together. Um, realistically, we're thinking once a month because obviously it's very, very busy in schools. Um, but I really like the idea of perhaps of us, so at the moment, it's only three of us really. I haven't actually opened up to the wider community yet. We're going to sort of trial it one time first to see what works. Um, but the idea is that perhaps we choose something that does um, support all of our learning and pedagogy and then all read it. And then again, almost like what I was doing with the parents, actually um, find out what our interpretations of the article are and what key points we can pull out from it and use in our practice. Excellent. Um, we're well, hoping for that really to go forward next year. Um, but we'll have a little a, a pre-meeting, hopefully in um, uh, June. Yeah, to just just work out the logistics of it. That sounds excellent. It's a great opportunity just to share some thinking as well, isn't it? And, and um, I like that uh, opportunity to to discuss research in a, a group of people as well. Um, so you've been doing obviously quite a lot of research and, and you've found that you've had an impact on um, your practice, but what do you think it means for your students and for your school and, and perhaps even to a point in the wider education community, the work that you're doing? Um, I think what we're doing um, really, really impacts on the students because it's taking a problem and it's dealing with it as quickly as possible. Um, you know, there, there is a situation where you could just go on with the planning you did last year and adapt it a little bit here and there. But we're really, really carefully looking at what our children are coming in, especially like last year, they did have some time out due to COVID as well. So another area we're looking at is speech and language too. Um, so I think it really impacts on the children. Um, our research as well will impact on each other's practice, obviously, as well, because we, we will put all our ideas into planning. Um, so it's something we'll be talking about over the year. Um, another part of what we were deciding to do was to have our texts that we read and we, we actually have planning for our texts as well and how we're going to present them to the children. So I think um, it really, really will help the pedagogy of the teachers. Next year, we're going to have some new staff too. So again, that helps that we've done this research this year and we can share it with them straight away. So we'll all be on the same page from the beginning. Oh, that's really useful. So here, here's the next big question then. So what's next for you? What's next with your research, with your ideas and, and with your thinking on this? Um, well, I'm going to continue with the, the action research. I mean, next year, we're looking at possibly more European children. And often the, we, as we're a European school, we do accept um, European children. We, you know, 100% we accept they're in, basically, because um, that's why we're here. Um, but they can often come with no English and no Mandarin. So we don't actually have any way to communicate with them currently. Um, so we're really thinking about that for next year. We don't know our cohort just yet. So it will have to be in August that we see what happens. So again, some of these ideas that we've come across for this year, they may be adapted quite a bit. We may have other things put in as well to support those Danish learners too. Um, also with my research at the minute, I mentioned um, I'm, I'm almost at the end of a book um, about international teaching, which should be a, hope, a hopefully a really helpful short guide for people who are, are, are curious about coming abroad, but they don't want a massive text to, to um, read through. It'll have all the key points, how to go about it. Um, I've shared that as a piece of research with a lot of my colleagues and also with headmasters and also um, recruiters as well, because I feel, again, just having my voice the whole way through a book um, isn't the best um, 
really for people who want to to hear multiple perspectives. So I've I've created this book. I've also got in little sections within the book, which are like in speech bubbles, I'm hoping if, if the layout works, and my own voice. So there's a little part of me still in there in almost an alternate ethnographic way. Um, again, that, that reflects a little bit from my MA. So um, that is going to be my priority at the moment. It, the book seems to be taking incredibly long time, <laughs> but I, I kind of want it to be the best it can be. So it's a lot of um, revisions and redrafts. Um, I write for TES quite often, TES International, and um, those articles really are based on my teaching and, and what's working within our class. Um, a lot of it's been about the experiential learning that we've been doing. So learning through activities and sensations and even bringing animals into school um, to try and get the children to speak English. Um, so I've been writing for them. I've written for Sadie, written for Sadie Hollins at um, Wise Education as well about well-being in schools. So I'm really enjoying writing at the moment, I feel. Um, I think it's a little, it's kind of escapism from COVID almost. Um, I, I was used to like plan holidays, but now I write. So <laughs> I'm very, very busy at, um, with writing. Yeah, well, you really are busy, right? We ask a normal question. <laughs> I, I don't know if Joe is going to mention this, but we, we ask a lot of people this. Because how do you fit all of this in, Jess, and still do your parenting and um, have well, a home life as well? Because This is what I always really, really go on to people about. I would never fit this in if I was a teacher in the UK, full stop. Um, we do have great PPA time as um, an international teacher. It's around seven hours a week, and I fit. There's two meetings in that time, so it's around five hours real PPA time, and I do fit everything in in that time. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm more experienced now with quite quite a few years teaching, but um, I just feel there isn't the paperwork, there isn't the the unnecessary workload. Um, there's two meetings a week um, that are obligatory with the school, and then just some planning meetings after that. So. It, I, I don't ever feel that I'm absolutely overwhelmed and, um, you know, just doing 60 plus hours a week till six o'clock at night and Sundays. So really, that that's why I've moved internationally, to be quite honest. It was a big, big reason just because we both my husband and I, he's a teacher as well. We absolutely love teaching. It's all we'd ever want to do. But the UK just made it so difficult. And I know I know now even, um, you know, what's about three year retention now in the UK for teachers and um yeah so yeah, yeah, I have yeah. the time in, in the evenings I'm not marking books in the evenings everything I do is online and digital anyway so all my assessment is online um apart from their writing and things but I take a photograph of that so I've got that all there um so the evenings are free um the weekends are free basically um when my little girl is up and about, of course, um, I do things with her. But generally, around about seven o'clock, she still goes to bed. So I work work sometimes into the wee hours too. Because <laughs> I think once you start writing, it's very difficult to stop, isn't it? Um, yeah. But, well, yeah. well, actually, <laughs> Alistair and I need to start writing. We're both doing a research degree and probably <laughs> we need to get going. Um, thank you so much, Jess. I think you've sold the idea of international teaching. I think there may now be a flood of applications to, to uh, work overseas. So so do you, do you consider yourself settled now in Taiwan or do you think you'll be looking to move on to another country? I think really now we just can't make any decisions. Um, we'd be very grateful to stay on in Taiwan. Obviously, they've dealt with COVID really, really well. Um, I absolutely love teaching in, in person because I, I work with four and five-year-olds. Um, I'm not into online learning for that age group. Um, I think it's very difficult on the kids and it's it's stressful. You know, it, it's not the yeah. same experience. So, yeah, 
as long as I can stay here and as long as it, it's safe, I think it, it's it's wise to be thinking to stay on, quite honestly. Mm. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for um, joining us. Evening for you, afternoon for us. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much, Jess. You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening and hopefully you can join us again soon.